Welcome to the Bonner Private Research Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Bowman. Each week, we bring you exclusive conversations with members of Bill Bonner's private research team, as well as some special guests we'll meet along the way. We're trying to connect the dots, from high finance to lowly politics, private investments to public follies, from Wall Street to Main Street, at home and on the road. We're into sound money, personal freedom, classical books, and great wines. Not always in that order. So join me and the rest of the Bonner Private Research team as we pack our bags and follow the money. Mate, so let me let me welcome you officially to the show because uh, it's been a little while since you and I uh, got together. Uh, in person, but I've known you for what ten years now. I feel like yeah, right I think around it's there. been about that long. Yeah. So you're an uh, an early investor, a crypto enthusiast. Uh, I know you're doing a lot of work with uh, the gents over at Hive Blockchain Technologies and early investing as well. But one of the uh, and we can get into all that. But one of the conversations I wanted to start off with you is something that's just kind of been rattling around my head uh, in the past few weeks, and that is what is going on with your friendly, mild-mannered neighbors uh, to the north. And this is kind of instructive in multiple ways for an Antipodean who's been watching what's happening in Australia over the past couple of years. But uh, just for people who are kind of catching up with the story or maybe they've had it just peripherally, you know, um, on their news feeds, but maybe they're paying attention to, I don't know what's going on in the Ukraine or, or whatever else. Uh, do you want to kind of just catch us up to speed with what's been going on in Canada, what the yeah. latest is? So, yeah, most people are familiar with kind of the basics of what's going on with the trucker convoys. Um, but it is interesting. Like I talked to I talked to my parents about it this weekend and they really didn't know what was going on, you know, because it's not really being reported in the mainstream. So you kind of have to go to like uh, some social media platforms to get up on it. But Basically, a lot of Canadians are really sick of the vaccine mandates and the mask mandates and, um, you know, the quarantine rules. And so it set off really a, a, a large protest in Ottawa, which then spread to um, become a blockade at several of the U.S.-Canadian borders. Um, and now there's pretty much protests in all major Canadian cities. Um, so they really cracked down hard on the one in Ottawa, you know batons and mace and uh, mm. cracked some skulls and trampled some people with horses. Uh, and yeah, it's it's surreal to watch. I mean, because these people were totally peaceful protesters. Um, you know, they were cleaning up after themselves. Crime actually went down in the city during, you know, this occupation. And, um, you know, uh, Trudeau invoked these emergency powers that basically give him unlimited um, ability to freeze people's financial accounts, which they are doing. So anybody that is associated with the protest that they can identify, either they donated to the uh, protest or they were on video. I mean, they, it's very Orwellian. Like they are mm. using video to identify people, you know, facial recognition, and then blocking their bank accounts. And then, you know, uh, we've heard multiple stories of people who you know, just went to the grocery store and all of a sudden they donated to the convoy. So their credit cards aren't working. Um, wow. Their bank accounts are, are, are frozen. 
they're going to try to now uh, take a bunch of the trucks that they towed away from downtown and sell them and keep the money. Um, That's, so, that just seems vindictive at that point. Like this isn't yeah. just this isn't just an impounding, and you know, come come along next week, pay a fine, and get your rig out. This is for many of. I mean, I would guess for the vast majority of people who who have their rigs um, being taken from them, this is their probably their main source of income. I mean, this is oh yeah, and and probably most of them have a big loan out of their livelihood, it, right? Right, and they, and they probably owe a million dollars on a loan. A lot of them, or I don't know how much a big rig costs, but I'm guessing right. it's not cheap. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, I, I just keep being reminded of this great, uh, George Orwell quote. And he says, all tyrannies rule through fraud and force, but once the fraud is exposed, they must rely exclusively on force. So right. I, I feel like that's kind of where we are, at least in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the veneer has been pulled back and now that now this is just the naked state just ruling through yeah. through power and brute force. Yeah, exactly. Like that old Frank Zappa quote about the brick wall, you know, Love some, um, some Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's interesting, you know, I think it's kind of been inevitable for a while, but mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's going to be a hard period that we're going to have to go through, but um, you know, I, I actually find myself pretty optimistic just to see people out in the streets because realistically this stuff has been going on for a while like financial censorship you know uh speech censorship uh Mm -hmm. so just seeing people out in the streets is encouraging because i I mean ultimately i don't think the people's will will be denied for too long um you know we have the internet still (laughs) hopefully we will (laughs) going forward but um you know it's just it's nice to see people getting a little angry and a little um, upset because, you know, this stuff has been going on for a while. It just didn't affect us as directly. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah. So I, I feel like we can, I mean, you touched on, uh, on this from multiple angles there, but I feel like broadly we could kind of break it up into a couple of main, uh, sort of themes here. And for our American listeners slash viewers, readers, however you're consuming this, it, it, it almost feels like there's a, there's a first amendment component of this, and then something we, I don't know, we maybe call it like a fourth amendment component where there's the the censorship of free speech. And very importantly, in the case of, uh, of these demonstrations, the ability or the right to peaceably assemble and, and redress, uh, petition the government for, for redress. So this would be our kind of first amendment, um, you know, point of attack there. And then it gets into something entirely different when you're talking about um, asset seizure. Um, and, you know, I, you sent me the story originally, but I think this, this kind of started with, with the government leaning on a private company. This was uh, GoFundMe, I believe. Yep. And then, so, so what, it gets a little money for me after that. So what happened? They lent on, on GoFundMe. They kind of backtracked after a little bit and said, actually, we're not just going to take the money. We're going to automatically refund it to you. Um, but then things kind of escalated. Yeah, so there was over ten million dollars raised for um, the leaders of this of this trucker convoy, and it was going to pay for their gas and some other expenses, but mostly for gas. Um, and GoFundMe basically shut down the raise after it had reached ten million, and they said, "We're not going to give it 
back or, or no, you can, you can ask for a refund, but if you don't ask for a refund, we're going to take that money and donate it to charities of our choosing. Now they mm. got a lot of pushback on that. Um, yeah. so they reversed, they automatically refunded everybody. And then, um, so a new fundraiser started on a Christian, uh, crowdfunding site called give, send, go. And, Give, send, go is basically only around because GoFundMe shuts down so many <laughs> um, dissident and um, you know conservative type of fundraising events. They're basically mm-hmm. very political in how in who they allow to fundraise on the site. So Give, right. send, go all of a sudden turns into a big, big business. Um, they raised about I think over eight million dollars for the truckers. And um, they did get some of that money to them, but then the Canadian government stepped in. Um, a lot of that money is frozen now in a U.S. bank. Um, they got some of it to the protesters, but um, a lot of it is still in limbo. So, you know, it's been wow. frozen. Um, and yeah, but, you know, this is leading to a kind of bigger thing that we've been talking about a little bit where you know, there's a potential here that we're going to see kind of parallel economies develop, right? Like Give, Send, Go is the fundraising platform for conservatives and dissidents, and GoFundMe is the one for normies and, you know, whatever. But um, so, you know, are we going to see that for social media? We're already starting to see it for social media. Are we going to see it for banking? Are we going to see it for payment processing? Mm. Um, You know, it's... uh, it's a big, big thing. Like if, if you guys aren't aware of kind of what's happening on social media with censorship, um, you know, this has been going on for a long time. Like the first time I remember seeing blatant political censorship on, on Facebook was in 2007. It was during the GOP primaries and I saw Ron Paul talk and I was kind of impressed. So I went to Facebook and I'm like, oh, let's join a Ron Paul group. And there were no Ron Paul groups. Um, so <laughs> I was like, well, that's strange. I guess, you know, I, I didn't think much more about it, but I never joined one, right? I could have been involved in the movement. I could have been spreading the word, but they had intentionally hidden them, it turns out. And if you look it up, TechCrunch did some reporting on this. Um, so this was 2007, and they were disabling the ability for right. people to create, you know, Ron Paul groups on social media. So this stuff has big, big impacts, right? Um, I mean, the the ability for a company like Google or Facebook or Twitter to control someone's kind of uh, you know thought process through little nudges and through censorship is tremendous. Like um, it's just really really powerful. Yeah, and I mean we're not we're not talking about um, you know tiny little um, corner of the web type uh, outfits here. We're talking about the main choke points of information the main filters through which I don't know what the percentage would be, but it would be upwards of 90% of internet traffic is driven through Google, through, you know, through Twitter, through Facebook. These are the feeds that, that uh, kind of, um, you know, allow people the reality that we just take for granted when we go uh, online. And as more and more of our life is, uh, is played out online, whether it be the, the, the kind of news you get or the commerce that you interact in, uh, your your brokerage account, your online banking, where you travel, where yep. you stay, 
uh, and probably uh, in future some kind of some kind of credit score. But let's go back to the truckers for for just a second because I wanted to kind of play the other side for a little bit, and this um, this will circle around to what I've experienced just watching from down here in Argentina, watching what's been happening in. Um, in my birth country of Australia, and that's that there's there'll be a kind of narrative that that will say, hey, actually these you know these people were you know they were out protesting, they were they were disturbing locals, and they were um, you know they were they were hampering trade uh, across the border. Um, I've, I've seen a bit of that, and uh, I wanted just to get your your take on this idea that. These things have become so politicized now that rather than it being a case of, hey, it's the people against the state and their kind of oppressive, be it mandates or, uh, you know, it could be a taxation policy. It could be some kind of draconian law. It's been turned into a kind of divide and conquer situation where you get all this mudslinging back and forth between people on the so-called right and people on the so-called left, whatever that even means today, such to the extent that you, you know, looking at the, at the kind of diametrically opposed coverage of what's going on in Canada, yeah. I'm just reminded of that, that, uh, that old poem, which starts out, you know, first they came for the communists and I didn't speak up cause I wasn't a communist. And then they came for, you know, this other socialist and what, and, and what have you. I think that people who are defending the encroachment of the state onto any civil liberties are, are going to maybe be un, <laughs> unceremoniously reminded that that actually they're going to be having to guard their civil liberties at some point in the future, and maybe there won't be anyone left to to stand up for them. Right, exactly, and I mean we. It's interesting how things have basically become. You know, there's there's basically two or three or four separate realities, and people believe in them steadfastly and there's not a lot of i don't think a lot of people are being convinced one way or the other on a lot of these issues so um it is interesting i mean it's uh it's disturbing but it just appears to be kind of where we're at i mean right <laughs> yeah it seems it seems uh perhaps even to have been exacerbated this divide during the past couple of years and i think part of that maybe and and you can speak to this. Your experience in the U.S. would have been uh, different to what we had down here in Argentina, but but just the like the atomization of society in general uh, during these lockdowns and isolations and social distancing. Um, I feel like a lot of the checks and balances that usually hold uh, sort of polite society together. You know, when you gather around the the water cooler at the workplace and. And and maybe you flesh out you know a couple of ideas or or, or you know Tony from accounting says something kind of a bit wayward, but then his friends kind of pull him into line and say, hey, that's that's a bit of a crackpot theory or whatever. I feel like a lot of those checks and little sort of social balances and etiquette have just just completely been done away with, yeah. and now we congregate on Twitter where we just scream at each other. Everything has to be as divisive as it can possibly be. And as incendiary as it can possibly be, so I feel like even even more so in the past couple of years, we've had this. People have been digging their heels in on both sides, and it, it, it seems like we're 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 farther from the center, perhaps than than we've been in a long time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it it is interesting. Um, one thing that I've noticed is that 
I look a lot of at, look at a lot of political and social polling, and um, Rasmussen Reports does some of the most interesting stuff. And what what their latest polls are showing is that independents are about seventy percent in line with conservatives, and um, Democrats are kind of you know on becoming more on an island by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's just uh, it is interesting to watch. Like I'm convinced that it's 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 99 percent based on, you know, the media that you consume for most Mm -hmm. people. Right. It's just like if they consume if they watch Rachel Maddow, they're angry about certain things. If they watch Sean Hannity, they're mad about other things, you know. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I mean, social media, despite all its flaws, despite all the censorship, um, it's just, it's priceless. I mean, just, just to be able to follow what's going on around the world, um, you know, and kind of maintaining that place where people can share ideas freely. I think that's going to be an increasingly important, uh, thing going forward. Like with Twitter, Facebook, all these companies kind of, they're all, they're all towing the same line. They all are following orders basically from the government to censor certain things to, um, you know, like I, I sent you that article where Facebook had this algorithm that was exposed where it gave you, it gave users a vaccine hesitancy score. So if you had a certain score that showed that you were vaccine hesitant, your comments would be kind of hidden or downgraded or, you know, put below the fold. Um, so, my view is that stuff like this is happening really widely on most of the social networks and people can kind of sense it, right? Like back back to polls for a second. Like I think something like 55% of Americans now believe that big tech censors based on political views, it's become kind of widely accepted. I think, I mean, obviously some people don't accept it, but um, it's pretty clear to me that they are using their own personal political views to censor and steer the discussion. And ultimately, I think that's a really bad strategy. Like if you think about a company like Google or Facebook or Twitter, they've basically like, I still use Twitter because it's just a great learning tool, right? But something like 40% of their audience hates them now and is desperate for alternatives, right? They want places where they can speak freely and not be banned or shadow banned or whatever, you know, and um, it's just creating this, this huge opportunity for these alternative platforms. Um, And that's an area that I've been focused on for a while, but right now it's like, it's just more relevant than ever. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, people want truly, well, a lot of people, some people don't want free speech platforms, but a lot of people do. (laughs) And Free speech that they agree with is 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 fine. It's just free speech that they don't agree with that they're <laughs> unhappy about. Exactly. So you know, I don't think that trend of big tech censoring stuff is going to reverse anytime soon. But um, mm. it's created a really unique, actually, investment opportunity because these alternative platforms have an unfair advantage right now. Right? They can actually have free speech, and people want that. So. It's, um, you know, I, I think if Google and Facebook and Twitter and everybody hadn't started censoring people, it would have been really hard for any of these platforms to gain traction. But, you know, because they are cracking down on certain political views, it just hands these guys a huge gift. It's like 
Hey, Rumble, you know, so Rumble is a YouTube alternative. And I think they had 63 million monthly active users in Q3. Um, and, you know, they never would have gotten that if YouTube hadn't started banning all the stuff because, you know, YouTube has banned basically anything that goes against the establishment in terms of COVID, um, even the war on terror to some extent. So, you know, people are finding the, these alternative outlets and the growth on them is really exploding. Yeah. And I feel, I mean, it does feel like uh, if you build that they will come kind of moment for a lot of these companies that are waiting in the wings and they're watching. I mean, you, you would have had to be, uh, you know, really avoiding the news cycle to not hear Joe Rogan's name in the past uh, month, let's say. So here's a guy who inks a $100 million contract uh, with Spotify. Wherever you fall on on whether or not he should be able to say what he what he has to say or whether his guests should be able to say what they have to say, what's, what is undeniable is that a large amount of people want to hear that. Uh, and he has an incredibly large audience, the kind that would make, uh, you know, your your average CNN uh, anchor weep into his his teacup. But so so that's that audience are are craving, uh, you know, long form interviews. They're craving, uh, you know, a curious mind, investigative, even interrogative uh, journalism. Really, sort of, you know, getting into the weeds on on oftentimes unpopular certainly unpopular mainstream opinions. Uh, and it just demonstrates that there is a huge demand for that. So go through a couple of the, or a few of the thing, uh, companies that you're looking at, because as a, I, I know you're a, you're a startup investor. I probably, I may have mentioned at the top of the show here, but you've, since you and I have known one another, you've invested in over 125 startups, a, a dozen or so have, have grown to unicorn status at this, at this point, which is pretty impressive. So, uh, when you see this kind of, as you say, potentially even a, a gift being handed to uh, companies that are positioning themselves as sort of free speech alternatives, or maybe even existing in like a parallel economy, uh, what are the kind of standouts, you know, outfits that you think are doing a pretty good job or, or that are yeah. keeping an eye on? So um, in terms of public companies, there's really two that I consider kind of credible. Um, the first one is Rumble. So Rumble is a YouTube alternative. Um, you know, YouTube, if you guys aren't aware, YouTube bans a lot of content, pretty much anything that's kind of uh, anti-establishment. Uh, YouTube, if you know, if it, if it catches on and gets too many views, YouTube will quickly uh, delete it. Um, and so... YouTube, also, if you don't know, is like one of the most lucrative businesses in the world. They apparently get over $63 a user per year. Um, so that's, that's, that's pretty good. I mean, considering a lot of those people don't use the platform very often. Mm. So, so is, that, um, is that through, I mean, they have a subscription uh, model. Is that through, I guess that would average out between adver advertisement and uh, subscription, right? Or I think that's just free. That's just like ad-based content. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So that goes, I mean, that, that'll that go even to another point where are advertisers going to go after this? If we get a, a lot of eyeballs on Rumble, that can take off quickly. Anyway, I'm jumping in there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fun. Um, yeah, so, so Rumble's an interesting one. It is a SPAC and SPACs are weird for a few reasons. They're kind of like, 
it's a it's a fancy reverse merger kind of right but um so all SPACs start off trading at around ten dollars um cfvi is 14 right now um it is a little expensive i believe the um the market cap it's tricky with these SPACs because if you look at you know yahoo finance or something it'll tell you 400 million but it hasn't merged with uh rumble yet so mm -hmm. until it does we won't know the full valuation yeah. um so it's more expensive than it looks but you know i think they had uh let's see 63 no uh so they grew monthly active users from q3 2020 to q3 2021 from 2 million to 36 million so that's that's pretty wow. explosive explosive growth you know 18 times in a year um so they do have serious growth they have a lot of good content i watch stuff on rumble um a lot of stuff that just isn't available on youtube right um and you know like i said the company hasn't merged yet it's worth watching i might buy a little of it but um so the the big risk to rumble is right now they pretty much allow almost any you know controversial content they allow stuff that's controversial that youtube would never allow about covid or about um you know conspiratorial stuff um but so right now they are in the app store they're in the google and the uh apple app stores but the question is if they're going to get banned if they don't start censoring because mm. the whole reason people use rumble is because they don't censor like youtube does but that also puts rumble at risk of being deplatformed from the app stores Right, um, and you would you would imagine that, especially in these, uh, if these are indeed the early days uh, for Rumble, that they would be attracting. I would imagine some of the some of the more uh, conspiratorial sort of out there stuff that people would yeah. want to more easily point their finger to. So that may even give the the app stores a little bit of kind of cover to say, well, you know, this is uh, this is exactly the kind of speech we don't want. And so let's uh, let's clamp down on that before it gets out of hand. Yeah, that's exactly it. So the people that get that get kicked off other platforms, they go to these new platforms right. and sometimes they do have views that are offensive. Right. That's just mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Um, right. Sometimes they're going to be neo-Nazis or, you know, something like that. But um, just ignore them. Like, you know, it, right. you don't have <laughs> the, to paint a whole platform because of the content that is on it you know like um it's a if it's a free speech platform there's going to be some offensive stuff on it you know like i feel like yep. we're adults and we can deal with that but you know, some people yeah. <laughs> some people don't some people don't agree so um yeah so rumble is an interesting one um the other big one is trump's social media platform so this is called truth social and it is publicly traded but there's some warnings here. Um, so the ticker is DWAC, and it's another SPAC company. Um, so right now it does have about a $20 billion market cap. Um, and they just launched the app uh, last night. So last night they launched the app just for Apple users. Um, mm -hmm. Apparently, you know, they have a huge wait list and, um, you know, they're, I'm pretty sure if they can get a platform that works and is scalable and is fast, um, you know, they're going to get some traction for sure. Because like we said, you know, people are really craving free speech. Um, mm -hmm. But 
you know, there, so right now it does have about a $20 billion market cap. So that's pretty steep for a company with no revenue. Um, <laughs> it's also up from, so like all SPACs, it started off trading at about 10 bucks. And last I looked this morning, it was $90. So, wow. um, and there's a lot of potential dilution there too, because with SPACs, people who invest at that in the private round, they get warrants at $10. So there mm -hmm. are a lot of warrants at $10. So there's more dilution in this thing than it looks like. Um, but, you know, I do own some DWAC. I mean, it's, um, I think it has potential to become like the mother of all meme stocks, right? Like mother of all meme stocks, of, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about how obsessed people were with GameStop just because it was fun. I don't know why exactly they were obsessed with GameStop, but I think that this thing could become, you know, if people start using it and people like it, um, it could really run. I mean, it, uh, I don't know that fundamentally it's a great buy. It's probably not, but, um, it's interesting nonetheless, just to watch. Uh, it seems like, it seems also like, and maybe this is, uh, well, I, I would bet that this is, uh, was something that was driving the kind of GameStop uh, AMC type uh, buyer uh, was a, a, a bit of a finger to the man uh, in in some way, right? This is like, hey, this is how we can swarm and leverage asymmetrically our, you know, it's like a it's a flash mob uh, in some sense. That's exactly it. And what sticks it to the man more than supporting Trump's social media network? You know, like <laughs> yeah, very um, unpopular for the man. <laughs> Yeah, so you you summed it up really well there. I think that's the reason that it could run is just, I mean, it, it, it's almost like Bitcoin a little bit. Like people buy Bitcoin because we think the current system is flawed. We don't love it. And a lot of people think the social media and big tech is super flawed. So, um, you know, I think people could use it if... If it catches on with users, I think it could it could certainly run, but it is already expensive. So just be aware of that. Um, it's up a lot and there's a lot of dilution that's kind of not baked in yet. So um, just be aware of that. Um, really the more interesting opportunities though are private. Um, most of the you know, up and coming kind of free speech platforms are still private. Um, one of the ones that I invested in a while ago is gab.com. So gab is a very free speech platform. Um, it's controversial of course, because it is a free speech platform and it does attract people that have been banned from other sites, but you know, there's a lot of good people on gab too, and a lot of funny people and a lot of good, uh, you know, news for conservatives and stuff. But um, that's an interesting one. I think they had about 90 million uh, visits in January. Um, and so the interesting thing about Gab is how much censorship they've had to deal with. Um, so in 2017, I believe, their app was banned from the uh, Google and Apple Play Store simultaneously because of hate speech. Um, and specifically, it's because Gab doesn't believe that you can have like, you can say, we don't allow hate speech because it's always subjective, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they don't have a policy in there and they won't, basically they won't ban people that Google and Apple don't like. So Google and Apple to play on their Play Stores want, it's not kind of editorial control of these platforms. Um, so, you know, 
that's the reason they got banned from the app stores, basically. They were also banned from AWS and all the other major web hosts, payment. They even got their domain banned from GoDaddy, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah. That's um, so heavy a domain, like a, a domain name banned. Um, but you know what? Like the um, the founder and CEO, Andrew Torba, is really kind of an impressive guy. He's a Christian. He's a family guy. And he just he just keeps building no matter what they throw at him. He built his own infrastructure <laughs> to host. They wow. built their own email system. They built their own <clears throat> marketplace now. And they're also building their own payment system now, which is interesting. And by the way, I think this whole concept of the parallel economy, I think it's Andrew, the CEO of Gab, who coined that term. Okay. Um, so I, I, I do want to give him credit for that. But, but um, yeah, in the... The, the other interesting thing about these private market investments is that a lot of them, you know, like no mainstream VC would probably touch Gab with a 10-foot pole. Um, so there's kind of this artificial, artificially cheap aspect to some of these plays too, because they're a little bit too icky for mainstream investors, or they're a like little a, bit too like a risk discount. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A risk discount, exactly. And um, so Substack is the other interesting one, right? And you guys are on Substack. Um, Indeed, yeah. And yeah, I, I just started a Substack. It's great. I mean, it's a, it's a really good service. They don't seem to censor stuff yet. Um, and, you know, I mean, they're growing like crazy. I think this was a while ago, but they just passed a million paying subscribers. So um, if you guys aren't familiar, well, Everybody that's watching this is probably familiar with Substack, so I don't have to go into it, but it's another free speech platform. <clears throat> yeah, and the, and, and the founders uh, have come out and, and been pretty, I mean, there, there was some, um, uh, you know, some kind of rumbling, I think a couple of articles in, in maybe The Guardian and, and the usual suspects sort of pointing fingers at, was it uh, Chelsea Clinton retweeted uh, yeah. something complaining of uh, anti-fax or misinformation grifters? Of course, misinformation is anything that the establishment uh, disagrees with, um, just kind of by definition there. Uh, so, but I, I was very, um, very encouraged to see the uh, the founders of Substack basically come out and say, "Look, uh, the." The sun, sunlight is the best disinfectant, right? So we're going to have ideas out there. If you don't like the idea, come up with a better idea, counter it, you know, put up uh, put up yeah. some information, and and let's get to you know the truth of the matter as as best we can. But we're not going to get there by telling people that they they just have to sit down and that, that you know it's not their turn to talk. Yeah, exactly. You mentioned Bitcoin before, and that being. Uh, a similar kind of, I mean, I guess it kind of had its genesis as a, a bit of a workaround to what many of us saw as a flawed uh, central bank system of, you know, the the whole kind of end the Fed or audit the Fed uh, crowd found a lot of appeal in a currency that didn't depend on uh, the the fiat whims of, of a kind of elite central banker class. Um so I was just having, a, I was thinking about this just before where we had, you know, this was born in kind of 2008 uh, during a bailout or a circa bailout. Then, then we had the whole Cyprus bail-in, which was a, a catalyzing event for Bitcoin to take another, uh, another bull run. 
Um, I, I'm wondering now we have this, you know, kind of a, a G7 country, which is essentially, and this is to take, take it full circle back to Canada, we have a G7 country, which is confiscating the financial assets of its own citizens. But we've seen gold respond uh, this time. We haven't seen Bitcoin respond, and, and there's still a lot of pressure, um, a lot of downward pressure in the market on yeah. cryptos in general. What do you make of that in light of you know Bitcoin's kind of historical role as responding positively to these kind of financially sensorial um, you know sort of market conditions and and why yeah. perhaps it hasn't done that so far this time? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, you know, it it almost reminds me of March of 2020 when like everything in the world was selling off, um, and you know, I was sitting there saying like, well, they're just going to print unbelievable amounts of money. Like, why is Bitcoin selling off? But the market hadn't just ha- hadn't come to that realization yet, you know. And mm. and when you do get these four sell offs, I mean a lot of these leveraged traders and uh, hedge funds, you know, they're just forced to sell their Bitcoin no matter what. So um, I think like long-term, it's going to be great for Bitcoin. Um, I wrote an article about that in like February of 2020. But, you know, I mean, it takes the market a little while to kind of like catch on to things that might seem obvious to you and me, I think. Um, And I think there also is concern because, you know, in in Canada, they are forcing uh, centralized crypto exchanges, too, to like freeze people's accounts, freeze people's Bitcoin. So people are like, well, well, oh, you can just, you know, freeze the Bitcoin, too, which it is a problem. Um, You know, I mean, people can pull their Bitcoin off exchanges. They can trade with it amongst themselves. But in order to cash out, you do need that government. Uh, approved exchange, you know, so right. that's it's certainly a hiccup for Bitcoin, right? Um, I mean, if we if 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 Biden comes out and says something similar, or you know, there there certainly are some near term risks to Bitcoin, but um, like, I mean, I can't imagine a more bullish like overall fundamental environment, right? I mean, like money printing as far as the eye can see. I don't think they're going to be able to raise rates and normalize. Like that just seems like a a, a kind of fantasy to me. But um, I mean, I don't know. I'm just still incredibly bullish on Bitcoin. But yeah, I mean, it might get rocky for a bit. We could go lower. I. What mm-hmm. do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm I I'm in more more or less in agreement. I think that there's there are scenarios where I can see short term pain. Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, recall the situation during some pretty hectic sell-offs in the past. And I don't think that we're necessarily there yet just with regards to, uh, you know, general market sentiment. I mean, a lot of people got in uh, during that run up to, you know, 60 plus K and for them, you know, a 40% drawdown isn't, isn't really gut wrenching to the, you know, to, um, you know, by historical standards. So, yeah, I mean, it, it does look like it, it, there are a few catalysts that could potentially send it uh, a little lower. But I, you know, this goes back to the kind of general theme where I think all of these these governmental tightening, whether it's with regards to uh, you know free speech or assembly, 
uh, or seizure of financial assets or any kind of restrictive uh, behavior that the government engages in, which I can only imagine is going to get more intense, uh, is going to be beneficial long-term for any of these kinds of workarounds, um, you know, provided that there are enough people who still value all of those things like free speech and people who want, uh, you know, the right to be offended, uh, the people who want to, you know, go on social media platforms or listen to, uh, you know, videos or interviews or, uh, you know, transact with people that might not necessarily be to everybody's liking. As long as people value that to some extent, there'll be a, a huge demand for it. And I think in the long term, I'm hoping that that demand for, for freedom is going to, is going to win out and pay off. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to see. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, uh, Adam, we've, we've uh, been probably gone a little over time uh, already. And I'm, I'm very grateful for, for your time, but uh, I did want to get to what you guys are doing with uh, over at Hive. Uh, give us a, give us an update on what's been happening there. I know it's been a pretty busy uh, Q1 so far for you guys. So what's, yeah. what's in the pipes? Uh, so if you guys don't know Hive, uh, Hive is a leading cryptocurrency miner. We mine uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum, and we do it, I think, in a really clever way. Uh, um, you know, we basically locate our facilities right next to cheap and clean hydropower. So Canada, Iceland, Sweden, um, and we mine a lot of Ethereum and Bitcoin, um, you know, I just started at the company last June, so it's been fascinating to learn more about the mining industry. Just because, you know, I mean, I've 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 been around Bitcoin and I've been an owner for a while, but uh, learning about how the sausage is made is it's 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 fascinating. <laughs> I mean, it takes a lot of capital investment. Like all these, you know, there's a there's a bunch of big publicly traded miners now, and you know, some of them are spending up to a billion dollars. I think. I mean, it's a uh, there's some serious capital being invested into the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, I mean, like we're building a big campus uh, or expanding a big campus up in New Brunswick, Canada. And uh, it's just, you know, it's so cool to see these purpose-built Bitcoin miners going up, you know. And um, the timing of the China ban last year was really interesting because, I mean, it was great for North American and other miners because, all of a sudden, you know, we have all these data centers and people want to get their equipment in there. The hash rate went down. Um, mining became a lot more profitable. And, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that the decentralization, you know, out of China, because I mean, what percentage of it was of Bitcoin mining was in China? It was like 60% yeah, or something. A worrying percent to have behind, yeah. uh, <laughs> to, to all have in one, a worrying percentage of eggs to have in one basket, uh, for sure. Yeah, so it, it's kind of, you know, spread out throughout the world. And um, I think that's a great thing. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, um, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Like we're saying, I mean, both of us have been in Bitcoin for a long time, and we don't know what's going to happen, but, um, you know, in the short term, but long term i mean i really don't think i think this is the world that bitcoin was created for i mean this is uh why satoshi did it you know he yeah. uh inflation 
bailouts, you know, all these different things. Um, well, it's the, it's the world of chaos and uncertainty where you don't know the future and you can't centrally plan everything from the top down. So you will have organic moves, uh, you, whether they're geopolitically uh, responsive to something like the China ban or, um, you know, what, whatever happens in the future with regards to, I don't know, you, you, you throw on some, um, some climate and energy restrictions in one particular uh, jurisdiction. And then all of a sudden, crypto miners who are, I don't know, positioned next to uh, hydro, <laughs> hydro tech, all of a sudden, uh, you know, become much more attractive. So yeah, th th these are our market responses that we can't predict uh, down the road, but that's kind of what makes it fascinating and interesting and, uh, and rewards the, the front row tickets to it, I think. Yep, absolutely. It's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, it's it, like you said, it's probably going to get worse before it gets better, but I am convinced that it is going to get better. Like people are kind of, I know this is very cliche, but there is kind of an awakening going on about overreach of government power and overreach of central bank power and all these different things. So, um, you know, that's not to be overlooked, right? I mean, once right. the people you know, the first step towards change is recognition. And I think we're at the recognition stage right now. So hopefully change follows. And I think it will. All right. All right, Adam, mate, let's, uh, let's wrap it up there, but uh, get you back on uh, shortly for uh, some more chat. There's certainly no shortage of things going on in the world to, uh, to hold yeah. our, hold our attention. <laughs> okay. Right. Adam Sharp. Thanks a lot, mate. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Joel. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Bonner Private Research Podcast. You can find more conversations like this in the members-only section of our website at bonnerprivateresearch.com. If you would like to contact us, please address compliments and complaints alike to podcast at bonnerprivateresearch.com. We look forward to hearing from you either way. Until next week.